Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Murphy's League. Today's episode, we're going to be going over all the craziness that was week 9 of the NFL. We're also going to be previewing a little bit of week 10 because, not going to lie, not the best week of matchups, especially in prime time. We'll get to that once we get there. And then finally, we're going to close off with my typical power rankings. These are basically becoming a weekly thing here on this channel. So... As always, there will be timestamps located down below if you just want to skip to your favorite segment. First, we're going to be getting into some winners of the week, some losers of the week. You can call it stock up and stock down. Probably what I'll be calling it down in the description. So again, if you want to skip to your favorite segment, feel free to go ahead and do that. If you are listening, I appreciate you. Be sure to share this with your friends and family. Also, go follow me over on Instagram. It's also at Murphy's League because there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming to the channel soon. Um, I, If you listen to my last episode, you already know what that's going to be. But as of right now, midterms are hitting me a lot harder than I thought they would. So the timeline's kind of off right now. I'm hoping that I can get all that going next week. And by all that, I mean, I'm starting a YouTube channel. I'm hoping to get, you know, Instagram reels up on Instagram and just get the community a lot more involved. I'm hoping to get more involved here on campus. But in the meantime, while I am dealing with midterms and while I do have a lot of stuff on my plate, obviously all good things and, you know, school does come first. But once I get some of that stuff out of the way, we're going to be getting a lot more involved as a community. I'm really, really excited for it. Also want to say I'm recording in a different setup today. I actually did rent out a studio for the first time here on campus, but my dumbass forgot my fucking mic. So I'm recording all this on my phone right now. Hopefully the quality's not too bad. Um, just bear with me here next, by this time next week, again, I'll be in the studio again, but I will bring my actual recording mic. So maybe the quality isn't as bad as it sounds or as I think it sounds, but we'll just have to find out in a second here. And with all that being said, let's get into the first segment of the episode. Winners and losers of the week, stock up, stock down, if you want to call it that. Let's do it. All right, my first winner of the week is a guy I've been talking about a ton on this channel. It's got to be CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud absolutely showed out. He is proving his worth of being the number two overall pick in this past year's draft. And he is honestly playing so much better than I thought he would in his rookie year. I think it's fair to say that I was wrong about him. Not that I was super low on him. I still had him as my QB2 in this past year's draft class. I did have Bryce Young above him. I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think a lot of people had that as well. But I just more so thought that Houston... I didn't think they'd figure it out this early. I think I really discounted the hiring of Bobby Slowick. He's doing an absolutely fantastic job and he deserves his flowers in CJ Stroud's development as well because the way they've been able to use him and the way that they've been buying into his strengths is nothing short of incredible and their weapons are really not, you know, letting him down by any means. This is not a Bryce Young situation where Yes, you can argue there are some things that Bryce can do better himself, but his coaching staff has not put him in a position to succeed right now. His offensive line is not playing well. His weapons are not very good at all. CJ Stroud, while his weapons are much better, it's not like he has absolute world beaters on the perimeter, and Bobby Slowick is just using these guys really well. Keep in mind, his offensive line is significantly better, and CJ is just making the most of this opportunity. He is playing out of his mind right now. Um, it was Josh McCown, I believe, who actually works for Underdog Fantasy Football, and Brett Coleman pointed this out this past week. Um, again, also you know works for Underdog Football. But the point that he made was that During the draft process, C.J. Stroud was very comparable to Joe Burrow in the way that they are just able to keep their cool. They never change their mechanics. They're always the same. And even when they're looking to move, they're keeping their eyes downfield and not trying to run on the first read. C.J. Stroud is just playing so calm, cool, and collected. And honestly, is kind of looking like Joe Burrow up to this point. He's playing like an established veteran out there, just like Joe Burrow was able to do right from the get-go, young, you know, early on into his career. As far as reading the field, making the right decisions, and throwing the ball with anticipation, C.J. Stroud has that all over his film. And again, Bobby Slowick is dealing right now. I love the plays he's dialing up. I mentioned it in an early episode, but he came over from San Francisco. He was their passing games um, coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. And 
it really does translate because this passing offense is creative. It's quarterback friendly and CJ Stroud is making the absolute most of those opportunities in front of him. The last play of the game and honestly the last drive as a whole was a perfect example of this where it's a combination of good play calling where you saw the Bucks run cover four on that last play of the game and the Texans had an amazing response to it, putting stress on that middle of the field cornerback, who I believe was Carlton Davis, number 24. He basically couldn't be right in that situation. The way the leverage worked out, Tank Dell ran a fantastic route. CJ Stroud read it very perfectly. The play calling was there and it all ended up working out for him. So again, that is just exemplary. It's an example of the season as a whole in the fact that CJ Stroud is making all the right reads. He is not reckless with the football at all. And that is telling in his touchdown to turnover interception ratio um 14 to 1 as of right now it's just so incredible and again the numbers in this game i'm sure you've already heard it by now but broke the single single game passing rookie record 470 yards for him five touchdowns another game with no turnovers it is so incredible 14 touchdowns to one interception on the year he is currently on pace to be tied with the record for touchdown to interception ratio in a year and it is just so impressive what he's been able to do and i guess the next question becomes now with this team being four and four can they make a run at the playoffs they have to go into Cincinnati next week, which is probably their toughest test yet. Again, just compared CJ Stroud to Joe Burrow, that is going to be masterclass quarterbacking in that game. Really, really excited to watch that. Honestly, one of the best matchups of the entire week this coming week. But then they have the Cardinals at home. They have Jacksonville coming into their place. Three home games in a row here. Broncos coming into their place. And then they go on the road to face the Jets. We know how tough that defense can be. But nonetheless, a winnable game because Zach Wilson is their quarterback at the end of the day. We just saw on Monday Night Football this past week, you know. He still hasn't put it all together by any means. Then they go into Tennessee. They have the Browns come into town. Tennessee comes into town and they finish the year off going to Indianapolis. So there's definitely a way I would say it's more of an outside shot, but just the mere fact that they're sitting here at 500 through nine weeks is incredible. And I definitely did not expect them to be this good this far into the season. And I definitely did not expect CJ Stroud to be playing the way that he is. Up next, the next winner of the week, the next team slash fan base that has their stock up right now, it has to be the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, knock on wood, but they're finally fairly healthy to start this year. They've had a, a massive injuries in years past. And for the most part, obviously, J.K. Dobbins did tear his Achilles early on in the year. And they had some guys go down earlier in the year, like Tyler Lindebaum was a little beat up there. You know, some of their tackles had some issues. But for the most part, they've been fairly healthy. Hopefully, they can keep it up because they're firing at all on all cylinders, excuse me, especially at home. At home, they've had some absolutely dominant performance against some some of the better teams in the NFC, in the Seahawks, and the Lions, that's all in the past three weeks. They've been absolutely blowing these teams out. I did mention in my preview episode last week that I thought Baltimore or Seattle, either one of these teams, could make an absolute statement in this game. It ended up being a resounding Baltimore statement. And if you just look at the numbers, it really does tell the story for itself. It was it's pretty mind-boggling what they were able to do. I mean, if you just look at total yards, look at all of it, right? I'll list it out really quick. The Seattle Seahawks had a 151 total yards in this past game, so not much at all. Didn't really have much going for them in the slightest. They were 1-12 on third down. That is really, really impressive from the Baltimore Ravens' perspective that they were able to hold them to those kind of numbers. And then if you flip that on its head and you look at Baltimore's total yards, 151 compared to 515. Absolutely incredible stuff there. And then six for 13 on third down. Seattle had a measly six first downs in this entire game. Obviously didn't score a single touchdown in this one compared to Baltimore's 29. And then what I think is the most impressive stat of all of this is the time of possession. Seahawks only had the ball for 19 minutes and 56 seconds. Um, the Ravens had it for the other 40 quite literally double the amount of time. And then one more stat I wanted to say before I get, get on to some more concepts about this game is the rushing yards. Baltimore's rushing attack kind of been forgotten about and kind of wasn't as talked about this offseason because of the addition of um, 
Oh man, why am I forgetting his name? Munkin coming over from Georgia. Sorry, I forgot his name for a second. He was more of a passing guy. We like to spread these guys out and they added a ton of weapons this offseason. So that really was the talking point is can they make this more of an aerial attack? And don't get me wrong, Lamar Jackson has been absolutely incredible through the air throughout the year. He is still playing at an MVP caliber level. I've been saying this all year long, just about. And this game was no different at all. But the mere fact that they had almost 300 rushing yards really does go, you know, a little bit unnoticed for me. And it really does still tell you that Baltimore running the ball is still going to be their identity. It is still their bread and butter It is still what makes their entire offense go. And it makes everything else work off of it. Keaton Mitchell, standout rookie running back, made a statement in this one. Definitely someone to keep your eye on if you are in fantasy leagues. Might want to be taking a look at him on the waiver wire because as of right now, he is not very rostered. Obviously, waivers have passed at this point, but there's still a chance that he's a free agent sitting out there. And if you need some help at the running back position, Keaton Mitchell is electric. He was someone, honestly, I didn't cover too much throughout the draft process, and I probably should have talked about him more because dude is extremely explosive. And even though he has a much smaller back, he tested very, very well at the combine as far as the explosive measurements. And he's a guy that can, he's a home run hitter, similar to a Devon Achan, where he only needs a couple carries and he can make the absolute most out of his opportunity. And when the Ravens are run blocking as well as they are, that opportunity can come, you know, in an instant. All he needs is one play, rip one off. And we saw that in this past game. Only nine carries over 100 yards and a touchdown for him. Expect him to get more involved in this offense. Gus Edwards, going to be the goal line guy, going to be that short yardage power back. But Keaton Mitchell might be seeing a lot more work in the upcoming weeks here. And again, just absolutely impressive stuff from the Baltimore Ravens. They're playing like the best team in the league right now. But we'll get to that once we get to my power rankings. I think one thing you have to take away from the Seahawks point of view is their offensive line was definitely in shambles in this one. And I think as a Seahawks fan, and honestly, as you know, a football fan, I think a lot of people are asking themselves right now, what are the Seahawks ceiling? How far can they get? Um, you know, who's to blame? What's going to happen here? Is it Geno Smith? Is Geno to blame? Personally, I don't think so. The offensive line had a really rough day in this one. And I know that his numbers aren't as good as they were last year. And he does have a lot more turnovers on the year. But there's games like the Detroit Lions where if you don't have Geno Smith in that game dealing the way that he was dealing, you're just flat out not going to win this game. And I do agree with the argument that this roster is very ready to win now and he maybe does hinder your ceiling a little bit. I absolutely do understand that. But there was a lot more problems going on than just Geno Smith in this one. The mere fact that you know, K9, Kenneth Walker, I think he only had like 18 yards on the ground in this one. I should have pulled that up. Either way, it was not a good game for him at all. They had 28 rushing yards as a team. So, I mean, no matter who you are playing quarterback, when you only have 28 rushing yards during the game and you're barely converting on first down and you're getting pressured very, very consistently, it's going to be very hard to play. That's just anybody in this entire league. And again, I still think you can win. You know, the big game with Gino. I just don't know if he's going to take you all the way to the Super Bowl. That's all it is. And I'm not too concerned if I'm a Seahawks fan. I still think there's, you know, a very good chance we make the playoffs. Um, I think San Francisco does come back, you know, to their relevance a little bit. And I think they find their stride in the next coming weeks here. Obviously, we'll end up seeing how it all plays out shortly here. <laughs> Sunday is just around the corner. But nevertheless, I just... I think Seattle's going to be fine. I still think they're a playoff team. I think this is more of an indication of just how good Baltimore is versus is it time to panic on the Seahawks and they're not going to end up doing anything and all that, if you know what I'm saying. My last winner of the week, and I have to give him a huge shout out because this is one of the most impressive wins I've seen in a very, very long time. Seriously, one of like the most fun just storylines I've seen in the NFL in a very, very long time. It's Josh Dobbs. What he was able to do for the Minnesota Vikings this past weekend was nothing short of incredible, absolutely amazing stuff. I mean, Kevin O'Connell does deserve a lot of credit himself because obviously I'm no coach and I'm not too familiar with play calling terminology and all that. So Joshua Dobbs is a guy who's he's been around the league. I'm sure there's some carryover from system to system um, and terminology and how they call their plays and all that. Again, I'm not a coach. I'm not too familiar with all that stuff. I know very, very bread and butter concepts. And I know some of, you know, I, I, I would like to say I'm 
more knowledgeable than the average football fan. Uh, obviously, if I, I wouldn't be doing this and talking to you guys right now if I didn't think that in my heart of hearts. But the mere fact that Josh Dobbs was able to come in and not, not even know some of these guys' names and not know the playbook. And yes, there might have been, again, there might have been some terminology carryover, so he might have been familiar with some of these plays. But he took no snaps with this team before this game. He got there on Tuesday. He won a game on Saturday. That is so, so, so impressive. So again, I don't know the exact ins and outs as far as what O'Connell was telling Dobbs pre-snap and post-snap. And I know Dobbs is literally an aerospace engineering major out of the University of Tennessee. Shout out Vols. Love that school. Great school. Um, so he's a very smart guy. But to still be able to make legitimate reads and decisions before, again, even practicing with this team is absolutely incredible. And again, that's why I think Kevin O'Connell has to you know, be given a lot of credit in this one too, because he made it digestible for Joshua Dobbs. He didn't feel overwhelmed. The moment wasn't too big for him. And especially when you look at how this game started, it just makes it all the more impressive. Finding a way and sticking with it to win in this one was incredible seriously one of the coolest things i've ever seen in a regular game in a really really long time regular season game excuse me um i know i said it earlier but i really want to emphasize it because we got to think about how this game started before you know anything at all jaron hall is supposed to be the starter in this game you know rookie out of byu he goes down with an injury early josh dobbs forced into this role again a mere what five days after getting there basically four whole days after being in the building and then between the starter going down early, there was a safety very early on into that game with a really difficult play call that Josh Dobbs, you know, again, f one of the very first plays of the entire of his entire Minnesota Vikings tenure is a safety. Okay, safety, punt, get the ball back, fumble. Wow. Then <laughs> later that or sorry, that next drive after the fumble, your defense holds up, holds the opposing team to a field goal. They did their job. Then you are driving, you throw a hospital ball to KJ Osborne, he gets hurt. And it's just, it was like a big downward spiral of just everything that felt like it could have been going wrong was going wrong for this team. And he had guts, he had grit, he stuck in there. And I mean, shit, he was practicing his cadence on his snap calls, snap count, excuse me, with his center during the game. There was even a botched center exchange in this one because keep in mind, people forget it's hard to just hop into, you know, under center and knowing how your center is exactly going to snap it and get in a feel for your center. I mean, it is not a fun situation when you're doing that and learning that with a guy, someone you've never played with before. And it showed in this game. There was a botched uh, quarterback to center exchange in this one. They ended up getting the ball back. But again, it really felt like everything that could have been going wrong was going wrong for this team. And they stuck with it. Joshua Dobbs made some really, really clutch plays when they needed it most. On a fourth down, he scrambled for it. Uh, another one towards the end of the game, he scrambled for a touchdown. Um, he made some really, really good throws. It was just so impressive and I, I really I can't give him enough credit because he deserves all the credit in this one and again maybe not all the credit I did say Kevin O'Connell deserves his flowers as well but it was just so impressive and as a fan of the game I really did appreciate it and it was super super fun to watch but let's I'm not going to spend as much time on this section because this this one is a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be but let's get in some losers of the week or some some people and you know players teams that their stock are down right now all right so like i mentioned i'm not going to spend as much time on this segment just because i like to look at the positive things but it's still worth mentioning there are some some teams people whatever um that their stock are down right now so let's get into it first off i think we got to mention todd bowles todd bowles known as a defensive-minded coach uh, personally, I've always thought he's more of a coordinator than a coach, but even in this one, you have a defensive minded head coach and you're letting a rookie quarterback break all kinds of records on you. You're up with 46 seconds left, pretty much should be sealed away in any other situation. Not this one. CJ Stroud, obviously he deserves a lot of credit because what he did was amazing, but also, Todd Bowles, you can't let this guy throw for 470 yards. You can't let him dice you up like that when you're supposed to be known for your defensive prowess. The Bucks 
kind of feel like they're in a little bit of a downward spiral right now. Can't really find their identity. Um, have had some really, really good opportunities to win some of these close football games and just situationally have come up short when it's mattered most. For me, these situations when it ends up coming down to the situational football and you find yourselves on the losing end of those situations, that's when head coaching comes into play. Uh, very similar to what, what's, what's going on with Mike McCarthy in Dallas. So I guess we can kind of pair these two guys together. But Mike McCarthy, Dallas is a very competitive football team. They beat the shit out of a lot of teams every single year. They're a very good regular season team. But when it comes to playing the very top, you know, best teams, the cream of the crop in the NFL, situationally, they always seem to come up short and there's always something, whether it's, you know, the last play of the game or one of the last few plays of the game or in crucial moments when they need it most, they always find ways to mess it up. It feels very similar to what's going on in Tampa Bay, but Tampa maybe to a much larger extreme. And it's just situationally, they always seem to fall up short. Their stock has to be down after this one. Up next, this is a guy that I'd be very surprised if he has his job by the end of the year. Arthur Smith of the Atlanta Falcons. Again, pretty similar to what I just talked about with Todd Bowles, except the only difference is how are you going to let a guy that got in there on Tuesday (laughs) by Sunday? Again, CJ Stroud deserves a lot of credit. Joshua Dobbs deserves a lot of credit for beating Atlanta in this one. But at the same time, this guy literally doesn't even know some of these guys' names. And you're going to let him come in there and win the game. And you're also only going to give your first rounder 13 touches from this past year. Kyle Pitts is not getting involved at all anymore. It's just mind-boggling to me that Arthur Smith is has this ability to just really utilize guys that don't have nearly the investment of you know their top picks for example like a Kyle Pitts like a Bijan Robinson it's just when are we going to get these guys more involved when are we going to give these guys opportunities because frankly it just doesn't make much sense from a team building perspective when you're going to invest this much capital in someone why would you not just go ahead and use them what are you saving them for because it's clearly not working out and I get the idea of load management and I get that you want to keep them healthy But what are you keeping them healthy for if you're not going to be in the playoffs anyways because you're not getting these guys involved? It's one of those paradoxical things where you're going to win much more football games if you get the ball in your best hands or excuse me, in your best player's hands. And yes, the argument is, well, the more they touch it, the more they can get injured. And it's like, yeah, but the more they touch it, the higher chance of you winning this football game. It's just I don't really understand it from that standpoint i don't really get the thought process of it and again from a fantasy perspective maybe i'm just bitching a lot because i was high on Bijan robinson i have Bijan robinson stock and it really really does bother me but it's just more bothering to me that these dudes talents are being wasted these are incredible generational talents we're talking about here in Bijan robinson and kyle pitts and they've basically been stashed away for guys like tyler algier who went in the fifth round johnny smith who you gave up a seventh round pick for you have nothing invested in these guys and they're the ones putting up the numbers and not your very highly touted draft prospects so I just really don't get it, and it's really frustrating. And again, Atlanta is just finding ways to lose football games, and they had a very good shot of winning the NFC South. The NFC South is not a strong division by any means, and they're not taking advantage of this opportunity, and I think it all starts at the top with Arthur Smith. I would not be surprised if before year's end, he is no longer with Atlanta. Up next, let's talk about the Panthers front office as a whole. I wanted to put Bryce Young here, but honestly, I don't think it's Bryce Young's fault. It's not Bryce Young's fault that the Atlanta, or excuse me, Atlanta Falcons, that the Carolina Panthers traded up all of, you know, gave up a ton of assets to trade up with the Chicago Bears. They gave up two first rounders. They gave up DJ Moore. They gave up two second rounders, if I'm not mistaken. It was just a huge, huge, huge amount of capital. And now the Carolina Panthers find themselves in a really shitty scenario where they're not only not very talented, but they don't have very many assets either. They don't have much to change their state of their roster. It's very concerning to me that their most productive receiver, and don't get me wrong, he's having a pretty incredible year, all things considered is 33-year-old Adam Thielen. That is not a sign for sustainable success. And then if you look beyond that, a lot of their younger players are not producing, at least not now. Obviously, you can't count out guys like a Jonathan Mingo. But my point is, 
it's not looking very good. And this is a team that at one point had Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore on the same team. Obviously, Brian Burns is still there and there are some pieces of this roster that you might like, but they still haven't signed Brian Burns to a long-term extension. So unless they end up do, doing a sign and trade type of deal um, where they get a deal done and then immediately deal him to another team, I just don't really see a way where they're going to be able to get the capital and the assets to make this roster dramatically better in this next coming year. I think Carolina is a few years out. And again, I think the front office is largely to blame here because I get the gamble of trading a lot to go get your future quarterback. But when you're also going to be trading DJ Moore, a very, very good wide receiver in this league, also still very young. Keep in mind, um, it better work out and it better work out early. Right now, it is not working out at all for the Carolina Panthers. And they set themselves back a couple years with this Bryce Young trade. I'm not saying that Bryce Young isn't their guy and they fucked up the pick. I'm more saying that it's really tough for a rookie quarterback to come into a situation like this and find success. Again, you switch CJ Stroud and Bryce Young right now. We're having entirely different conversations about these two guys. And I think Carolina Panthers front office, the Carolina Panthers front office has to take some accountability. And I think they're largely to blame for most of the issues that Bryce Young is dealing with right now. Up next, man, New York football fans, I feel terrible for you. It was a really, really rough week. Another one of them, Zach Wilson, just Oh, just such such an awful experience, such an awful time. I think Jets fans just have to be so, so eager to see Aaron Rodgers back on the field. And Zach Wilson is just clearly not the answer there. He is not playing well at all. They got absolutely pummeled in primetime by the, the Los Angeles Chargers. And then New York, the other New York team, the New York Giants. Oh, man, it's just such... It's 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 tough. I feel so bad for you guys because going into Las Vegas, obviously that's a very hungry Las Vegas team, so they were very motivated to win that game. Very clear that they did not like Josh McDaniels at all in that locker room. I really like some of the traditions that the new interim head coach has brought over. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but you know the cigars in the locker room, bringing the practice squad players on the sidelines. Some of that stuff is really cool, and I think it's a really creative way. Not even creative, just really good way because we've seen coaches do this before but it's a really good way to you know get the players more bought in get them more involved having this feeling like more of a team because before there was definitely some turmoil in this locker room so really impressive stuff what the Raiders were able to do there want to give them some credit but also man the New York Giants I feel so bad for you guys this the way this season has played out has been nothing but pure disappointment outside of one half from Daniel Jones. Now Daniel Jones going down for the year. You're more than likely going to be picking in the top five and you could even move on from Daniel Jones. I know you just signed him to that long-term extension, but there's there's always a way to get out of those kinds of deals. And it's not like that money was 100% guaranteed or anything. So there's always a world and a scenario where maybe you bring in a guy like a Drake May. But either way kind of similar to the Panthers here where it doesn't feel like this is going to be a fix that's going to happen overnight it feels like this could last you know at least a couple years and given where the expectations were and given how this year is going for both teams for the Jets and the Giants I just have to feel so bad for New York football fans and it it's just it sucks because the NFL would have been a better league it would have been more fun to watch from a viewership viewership standpoint if Aaron Rodgers could have stayed healthy and the Jets were really good and if the Giants could just get out of their own way and you know not have so many injuries because that definitely did play a factor and it was just it's been basically all bad and it's going to continue and continue to be all bad for these teams and I really do feel for you guys if you're a fan of either one of these organizations because frankly it fucking sucks my last loser of the week though I think it has to be the Miami Dolphins. I think everyone's talking about it, and I'm, most people know exactly what they're talking about in this regard, where they're pretenders. They can't beat a team over 500. The teams they've lost to include the Bills, which they lost to by 28. They lost to the Chiefs, and the difference in that game ended up being a Tyreek Hill fumble. Um, again, that's a whole different topic. But And they also lost to... Oh, shit. Who's the third team? Mama forgetting the third team. Oh, the Eagles, obviously, duh. Um, 
so again, it's pretty clear and obvious the Dolphins can't be a team that's genuinely competitive. They can't really get over that hump. And it's pretty clear and obvious that they're a clear loser from this week. And until they prove it to me and they do beat one of these serious contenders because they do have some, you know, some more tests coming along their schedule, they still have a shot of winning their division because Buffalo can't seem to get out of their own way as well. And they're honestly maybe should be a loser this week, but we're going to get to that in a second. Um, actually, yeah, we'll just include that in this segment. What the fuck is up with Buffalo? They're now five and four on the year. They're currently out of the playoff picture as a whole. I don't expect that to continue. I think they're going to make it as a wildcard team. And one of these AFC North teams is eventually going to fall off, whether it's, it's probably either going to be the Steelers or the Browns. I'm not sure exactly which team it's going to be yet. Um, but I expect one of those teams to more than likely fall out of the playoff picture. I wouldn't be surprised necessarily if both of them end up making it and the Bills miss entirely. But again, not really what I'm expecting right now. But regardless, just if you just look at their games, you can't tell me that it makes perfect sense how some of these have played out. Week one, going all the way back to there, they lost to the Jets without Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went down the very first drive of the game. The Jets lost all their momentum. There's definitely a world where they could have just hung it up and said, woe is me, Aaron Rodgers is gone. And that's not what ended up happening. Josh Allen played terribly. He made some really, really bad decisions, had three interceptions, all going to the same player, by the way. And the Jets ended up winning an absolute stunner off of a punt return. Xavier Gibson, shout out to you. That was sick. And then the the next two weeks, they make statements. Next three weeks, actually. Beat the shit out of the Raiders at their place, 10 to 38. Big bounce back game. Go into Washington. Sam Howell was under rest that entire game. If you don't remember, I think they had like seven or... It was somewhere between seven and nine sacks. It was some ridiculous count. 37 to three in that one. Next week, but Miami Dolphins come into town. They beat, beat them down, 48 to 20. Then the week after that, go into London, honestly get their ass whipped by Jacksonville. The score is much closer than the actual outcome of that game, uh, 25 to 20. But if, if you watch that game, you know it really was not that close. The next week, Giants without Daniel Jones come into town. And frankly, in my humble opinion, they should have lost that game. I think they got kind of robbed by the refs in that one. Then they go into Foxborough. So keep in mind, probably should have lost three in a row here. They go into Foxborough and they lose to the Patriots and Mac Jones who have looked practically abysmal all year long. There's no weapons there. They can't protect Mac Jones. I don't think Mac Jones is fully at fault there. Again, there's, there's times where he's not doing him any favors, but I don't think it's his fault by any means. His weapons fucking suck. They end up allowing Mac Jones to make a two-minute drill drive with a minute left and drive down the field, end up winning the game to Mike Kosicki. Then the, <laughs> the Buccaneers come into town for Thursday Night Football, nearly lose that game. If Chris Godwin catches a Hail Mary, they do win that game. Then they go to Cincinnati and lose. So, it's been a roller coaster for the Buffalo Bills. They've had three absolutely dominant wins. But besides that, they really have honestly not looked good all year. And you can argue that they should have lost every other game besides those. So it's just really hard to make or what to make of this team. And I, I really don't trust them at all at this point. Even on their best day, I still think they're probably the fourth best team in the AFC. I would still easily take the Ravens, Chiefs, and Bengals over them right now. Um, and on their worst day, it feels like they can pretty much lose to literally anybody in the league. It is really hard to make out what this team is and just decipher what they're going to be in the playoffs because, frankly, I don't know. And I really don't know what to expect. And they kind of go how Josh Allen goes. But even then, sometimes their defense lets them down, just like that Patriots game. Their defense absolutely let them down in this one. I know they were dealing with a bunch of injuries, and you'd expect them as they get more used to their roles and these new guys coming in and replacing some other guys, maybe they could get better on that side of the ball. But until I see it, I really just don't trust it. And I really don't know what to make of this team. But let's get into my week 10 preview. I'm here to talk about three games and then get into some power rankings. Let's do it. All right. I only have 25 more minutes to record until I'm out of my rental time in the studio. So let's get this done. First off, I mentioned this earlier, but the week 10 slate, it's pretty gross. There's not a lot of good games. The primetime games in particular, they fucking suck. I just, <laughs> I wish we could get them flexed out. Maybe it's just too early in the year. I really don't remember the exact flex rules and how those work. But to list the primetime games, we got Panthers at Bears, ew. 
We got Jets at Raiders, you, and then we got Broncos at Bills for the Monday night game. That is fucking you. Uh, but let's talk about the good games. Let's not focus on the bad. Let's start with the Niners coming off their bye, going into Jacksonville, who are also coming off their bye. The Niners obviously coming off three consecutive losses. They're looking to go into Jacksonville and bounce back in a big way. Uh, this is the first time we're going to see Chase Young in a Niners uniform. Should help with their sack percentage despite their talent they're actually only five and a half percent um on the year for their sack percentage that's 29th or excuse me 27th in the league not a very good count at all i did expect this to get turned around anyways but now that they've added chase young it's just one more guy to account for it's going to be really scary having nick bosa and chase young on either side of the defensive line nonetheless they're still fourth in points per game opponent points per game that is um so defensively still playing really really well 10th in yards per game against and then offensively we know what they can do all the stats are still extremely dominant dominant literally top five in like every single category they're fourth in points per game fourth in yards per game, second in points per play, second in yards per play, second in touchdowns per play. They're fifth in red zone scoring percentage, fourth in third down conversion, second in fourth down conversion. Um, I'm assuming the Eagles are probably first in fourth down conversion because of the tush push. Either way, also first in yards per pass. So again, that is very telling of Mike, or not, I almost said Mike McDaniel, of, uh, Kyle Shanahan and his scheme and his ability to get create space for wide receivers to get yards after the catch. That really that is what that stat tells me at least. And that stat is really, really important from Jacksonville's point of view because I think the biggest opportunity for Jacksonville to win this game is going to be stopping. Obviously, third down conversion is that's that's any any game, any week. Genuinely speaking, if you're going to convert more on third down than the other team, you're probably going to end up winning that game. But stopping the big play, in my opinion, is going to be really, really important from Jacksonville's perspective. And they're honestly pretty good at it for the most part. Um, as far as their defensively go, yards per play. Um, oh, excuse me. That I was looking at the points per play stat. But again, one of those advanced metrics that really tells you just how often they the uh, opposing team scores on their drives. They're six in points per play. So that's pretty damn good. They're middle of the road in yards per play at 5.2. That's 18th in the league. So if they can improve that total, that's going to go a long way. And then I also mentioned that, <laughs> again, basically any game, this is the case, kind of just a universal role. Third down conversion, extremely important. Can you keep your offense on the field? Can you keep their defense on the field and wear them down and make long drives for touchdowns? Jacksonville's currently fourth, or excuse me, fifth in opposing third down conversion. So if they can keep that trend going, they're going to give themselves an opportunity to stay in this game. Again, I think it helps a lot that they're at home. Both of these teams coming off of a bye. So in that, that respect, no one's at too much of an advantage because Kyle Shanahan is definitely a coach you do not want to see off a bye. Do not give him that extra time to game plan. He is one of the most creative play callers in the entirety of the NFL. But Doug Peterson is up there with him. Doug Peterson's been an amazing coach, obviously a Super Bowl winning head coach with the Philadelphia Eagles not long ago at all. And the last time, you know, we saw him have a buy like that in the biggest stage, we saw the Philly special. Now everyone's running their own Philly special. So again, not a guy you want to count off, count out off of, <clears throat> excuse me, a bye week. And also Jacksonville's defense, especially rushing pretty damn good. I think they're really underrated for the most part in terms of opposing rushing yards per game. They're third in that aspect. They're also fourth in yards per rush. So yards per attempt. Um, and I think that's definitely worth mentioning because even though I just mentioned that the San Francisco 49ers are first in yards per pass play, it really all starts with the run game. It starts with that zone running scheme that Kyle Shanahan has really mastered. And it starts with Christian McCaffrey. If they can limit him and, you know, force Brock Purdy to beat them with his arm, it's going to hinder their entire offense as a whole. And again, third downs, stopping the run and stopping the big play. That's going to be the key for Jacksonville in this one if they want to keep it close and they want to find a way to win. Excuse me. <clears throat> and it's also worth mentioning that they're still above average in yards per pass allowed. I mentioned that San Francisco's first in that respect. Jacksonville defensively is 12th. So not elite by any means, but still above average. If they can just contain this offense and allow their offense to keep up 
at least in some aspect, they're going to have a shot in this game. From a betting perspective, the Jags are currently three-point underdogs. Not really surprising there. With an over-under of 46.5, I don't really know if I'll be taking anything in this game. Um, probably going to be staying away from it for the most part. Uh, if you do have you know any questions about betting or want some advice about betting, hit me up because I don't really have a dedicated segment in this one. Just going to be mentioning some of the markets throughout these matchups and just pretty much leaving it at that. There's only one bet that I'll mention in this segment that I really do like. Let's get into Browns at Ravens, though. We never really know what's going to happen with the divisional matchups. Again, I mentioned it earlier. The Ravens are playing like one of, if not the best teams in the entirety of the NFL. Cleveland is playing like they have the best defense in the entirety of the NFL. Again, if not the best, at least one of the best. And Deshaun Watson coming back in this one. Don't forget the last time they played the Ravens beat the shit out of him, but it was Dorian Thompson Robinson playing for the Browns. Deshaun Watson, in the limited time that he has been playing this year because he has dealt with that shoulder injury, he has looked significantly better than last year. Still not back to the old Deshaun Watson, but playing better nonetheless. And if you just look at some of the stats, I mean, we we know we know what this team's identity is, but the Ravens, I mentioned it earlier, they're still elite at running the ball. That really is their bread and butter and where they get everything started. But Man, their defense is playing like these are probably the two best defenses in the league. You can put Dallas somewhere up there. Um, you know, the Jets are definitely up there in contention as well. But for my money, these are the two best defenses in the league. It shows in the over under total of 37 and a half points. Lowest over under the week, possibly even one of the lowest of the year, if I'm not mistaken. Currently, the Ravens are six point favorites. Again, I think it totally makes sense. But let me talk about some of these stats for the Ravens defensively because their defense is playing absolutely lights out. First in opponent points per game at 13.8 points per game. That is fucking amazing. Less than two touchdowns totals. That's incredible. They're first in opposing touchdowns per game at 1.1. Again, that basically one touchdown per game. That is incredible, incredible stuff. Um, first in opponent yards per play at 4.1. First in red zone scoring percentage from the opponent second in yards per game it is just so incredible what they've been able to do against the run they've been a little bit worse but they're ahead in so many of these games that <laughs> they don't face the run a whole lot so in terms of rushing <clears throat> excuse me yards per game they're still pretty damn good um, but rushes per game, they only face 23, which is the fifth lowest rate. So again, they're up in a lot of these games. A lot of teams don't even want to run the ball on them because they can't really afford to. They need to play catch up. And in most of those game scripts, you're not running the ball a whole lot. So if you look at yards per rush, that's more of a more telling metric of just how good you are against the run. They're still middle-ish of the pack. And I really think that's going to be where the Browns find their success. And I think that's where they're going to want to establish themselves and be able to keep up with the Baltimore Ravens. Because not only when you're running the ball like that, is it going to be able to drain clock and just control the momentum of the game and possess the ball for longer. Because if you let Baltimore, you know, if you have a couple turnovers against Baltimore and you let them do their thing and control the game clock and run the ball and wear you down defensively, it's going to be a long day for you. But if you can keep Baltimore's offense on the sideline and really control the tempo of the game and, you know, force their defense to make adjustments rather than the latter, then you're going to have a lot easier time. And as of right now, Baltimore, in terms of opposing yards per rush, is 14th in the league at 4.0. And if you look at Cleveland's yards per rush for them, they're actually at 4.1. So it's basically the exact same metric. Um, that's going to be a really, really crucial part to this game. I think Jerome Ford sees a lot of work in this one, assuming they don't go down very early. That that would really be the, the kicker and would, you know, maybe force me to say like, oh, that's probably not going to happen. But I do expect if they do want to keep it close in this one, Jerome Ford's probably going to be in the near 20 touches mark. I'm not sure if you exactly want to be prioritizing to start him in fantasy if you do have him. Obviously, there's probably going to be some better matchups you're going to want to favor over him. But also, if you do have an opportunity to start him at your flex or you find yourself almost needing to put him there, I wouldn't absolutely panic in that regard. Um, again, Cleveland, they're still first in rushes per game. That really is the identity of this offense. They're third in rushing yards per game. So a really, really good running team. And I think Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, those dudes are going to see a lot of work in this one. Again, if it gets out of hand early, that kind of all goes out the window, but, but we'll see. I think that's a really good way to keep up 
with this team. And Cleveland defensively, I mean, it is so impressive, especially what they're able to do, um, both rushing the passer and stopping the pass. The Against the pass in particular, there's two metrics that stand out to me. It just right off the bat. First, opponent passing yards per game, 145 passing yards per game. That is dumb. That is like extremely, extremely, extremely impressive stuff to have through nine weeks of an NFL season. That is elite, elite numbers. Their secondary is playing out of their mind. And honestly, their defensive line deserves the most credit because their defensive line is where it all starts. They pressure the quarterback so consistently and it shows in their sack percentage. Their sack percentage is 11.25%. If you don't remember when I was just talking about San Francisco, they're at five. Do you realize how fucking dumb that is? Cleveland is literally sacking the quarterback twice as often as San Francisco is. And San Francisco is considered one of the deepest, most talented defensive lines in the entirety of the NFL. It is insane how good of a year this Cleveland Browns defense is having, especially up front. They're disrupting every single quarterback. Is Darius Smith, Dalvin Tomlinson, Shelby Harris, and then, of course, Defensive Player of the Year candidate, Miles Garrett. They are doing their thing back there. It is so impressive what they're able to do. And then also impo- opposing completion percentage. I mentioned the passing yards per game is first. So is completion percentage. This secondary is playing out of their minds. It is so incredible what they're able to do. And I'm really excited to see what ends up happening in this matchup now that Sean Watson is back. These divisional matchups are always really close. They always get really competitive. Love a good AFC North, you know, smash mouth football game. And that feels like that's where this is going to end up. Both defenses playing out of their mind. Lights out right now. Both run games are the identity of this offense. It's going to be an old school AFC North matchup. And again, it tells in the over under being the lowest of the week. I'm really, really excited to see what ends up happening in this one. And I don't know, just can the Ravens continue this insane run at home? Is Cleveland going to make a statement in this one? Are they going to prove that they're playoff contention and they are here for real and people got to take them seriously? I don't know. I'm really, really excited about it. And one more game I want to talk about before I get into my power rankings. What time is it? Okay, I got to do this quickly. Let's all right, let's just talk about this for like three minutes and then I got to get my power rankings and then I got to get out of the studio. Lions at Chargers. In a way, this is a must-win game for the Chargers. After starting two and four, they have a chance to turn things around, end up five and four. Luckily enough, the schedule makers have them playing this game at home. That's a really, really significant, you know, I don't want to say advantage for the Chargers because it almost feels like they don't have a home crowd themselves, but the ability to not go into Detroit and instead have them come into your home stadium, it does make a significant difference. And it, again, it just really, really helps them. I know it might sound obvious, but this is kind of the one bet that I do like of the week. And it's the over. It's at 48 and a half points as of now, as of the time of recording this Wednesday morning. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think it makes total sense. We know how explosive both of these offenses can be. We know how, you know, exhilarating the Chargers like to make their games. They like to make their games very close and competitive, almost no matter who they're playing. And I will say Los Angeles isn't really elite at any one thing, but... Their sack percentage is really good, nearly 9%. That's fourth in the league. And their turnover margin at plus 1.1 per game. So they're they're consistently turning over the ball a lot more than they're giving it up. If you can keep that trend going, and again, that's a stat that it's a little bit fluky. It's really hard to sustain stats like that. But if this trend continues, they certainly have a chance. We know Jared Goff is not the best when he's under pressure. He's not a particularly mobile quarterback. Um, So in that aspect, that's where the sack percentage comes in. And then just like any team in the NFL, more than likely, if you win the turnover battle, you're going to have a very good shot of winning the ball game. And this is a statement opportunity for the Chargers. Keep your eye on rookie wide receiver Quentin Johnson with Joshua Palmer hitting IR a couple weeks ago. Johnson played 83% of the snaps last week. That was a career high. The Lions, although their secondary was a point of emphasis and a point of you know improvement this offseason, they're still not elite by any means, and they don't really have cornerbacks that can match up with the size 
of a Quinton Johnson or a Keenan Allen. So I expect those guys to have really, really good games in this one. Again, at home, I think it plays a really big advantage in this one. Also, because of the reasons I just mentioned, we know how good Detroit's offense is. We know how well they can move the football. We know Amara is the focal point of the passing game. David Montgomery should be back in this one, and he has been incredible along the ground for the Detroit Lions. I expected Detroit to be able to move the ball consistently, to be able to consistently put up points on the board. And on the flip side of that, the Chargers have not been particularly good running the ball all year. They've had a couple good games, um, especially, you know, week one against the Dolphins. But that was <laughs> two months ago at this point. Um, Austin Eckler, you know, I'm a huge Eckler fan, but he really gets most of his production, at least thus far from the year, from the air. So for those reasons and the reasons that the Chargers are going to possibly be playing keep up in this one, I like Justin Herbert's passing yardage total over under i don't know exactly what it is because my props aren't out yet on my book so i can't see exactly what it is but if it's not too unreasonably high that's definitely a stat that i would be eyeing in this one as well but i'm sorry if i felt like i rushed that game a little bit but we're running out of time here in the studio so let me get to my power rankings and let's get out of here all right power rankings you know how i do these 10 to 9 i don't get into too much crazy detail about it because i genuinely I think most people just don't really need that much of an explanation. Kind of just do these more off the top of my head because it's just, it's subjective, right? And it doesn't really matter all that much. These are all just make-believe rankings and it's the NFL. Almost any team can be any team. It's just fun to think of these things and fun to see where the power dynamics are right now. So at number 10, I have the Buffalo Bills. Again, this is a team I just do not know what to make of them. I do not trust them at all. They've had some serious statement wins and they've had some honestly really pathetic losses this year and they've gotten embarrassed a couple times josh allen just is far too reckless with the football tries to play hero ball way too much and defensively they're missing some of their best players missing some really crucial pieces this is not a team i trust right now and i think there's easily nine teams better than them in the league you could probably even put them lower if you trust teams like seattle or like cleveland um, even the Chargers, possibly you could put in that conversation. Not quite ready to do that with them yet, but I think there's easily nine teams better than them. At number nine, I have the Dallas Cowboys. Again, kind of similar to the Bills, where the Bills, or excuse me, the Cowboys, they keep it really competitive with everyone, but I just don't trust them to get it done at the end of the day. I mentioned it earlier on in the episode, but situationally, they've been pretty awful all year long. This is a common occurrence with Mike McCarthy led teams. They lose in the situational uh, battle. They always tend to come up just short in those you know crucial gotta have it moments. And when you're splitting hairs here, like with how good some of these teams are in the NFL, that's extremely critical. We saw it come up big for them this past week against Philadelphia. And until I see them, you know, get out of their own ways and some of these crucial third downs, some of these gotta have it moments in the fourth quarter, I can't have them any higher than nine, at least for now. Number eight, I still have the Miami Dolphins. I'm still trusting them because, yes, they're not legitimate contenders, and yes, they can't make it past the big game. I still love what this team does offensively. I still love a lot of their pieces defensively, and I still think they're getting better in that aspect. Bradley Chubb has had games where he's been absolutely everywhere. Jalen Ramsey coming back has made an immediate impact in this secondary. I still love some of their pieces on that side of the football, and we know how dangerous their offense can be. Obviously, as of now, I don't consider them serious Super Bowl contenders, but that's why they're at eight. They still deserve to be in my top 10, in my opinion, and that's just how I feel about it. Number seven, Cincinnati Bengals. I was very, very close to putting them higher, and honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, I probably should put them higher because I think some of these teams ahead of them, I would take them over them in a head-to-head. I just didn't want to overreact too much. I still want to see a little bit more from Cincinnati, but there's a legitimate argument. Like If we're putting these teams into tiers of where I think there are as far as competing for a Super Bowl, I think Cincinnati has a better shot than some of these teams ahead of them, which I'll get to in a second. But as of right now, where it sits at this moment in time, I can't really put them any higher than seven. I still, you know me, if you know me, you know I love Joe Burrow. I seriously think he's the second best quarterback in the league right now. Um, again, nothing against guys like Lamar, like <clears throat> Jalen Hurts. I've just seen Joe Burrow do it before, and he's just 
I love Joe Burrow. He's just so calm, cool, and collected, always tends to make the right decision with the football um, and can do basically everything for an offense. It's those little subtle movements in the pocket that he's not exactly mobile. Uh, he can take off if you need him to, but it's more so he's just smart at manipulating the pocket. Either way, this isn't a segment about Joe Burrow. I love what they've been able to do defensively. I still think they're super underrated in that regard. I think the only player that really properly gets the attention from media is Trey Hendrickson. And honestly, I don't even know if he gets all the attention he deserves. But in the secondary, they're loaded. I love some of those pieces. I love their linebacker core led by Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt. Jermaine Pratt coming up with some really big plays for them. Obviously had a really big play for them this past week in forcing the fumble from Dalton Kincaid. Cincinnati Bengals at number seven. Realistically, I could even put them at like number three right now, but I would say more so if I'm making a tier list based off Super Bowl contention, they'd be a lot higher, but at least right now in terms of power dynamics, they're at number seven. Number six, Detroit Lions. I mean, I don't really know what else to say. You guys know who the Detroit Lions are. We know that they're a really good football team. We know that they're seriously one of the best teams in the NFC. I know that they got this, their teeth kicked in by the Baltimore Ravens, but Baltimore's you know, having, having a tendency to do this, especially against NFC teams. But the Lions, they can beat you in all assets. They can pass the ball very well on you and pass protect you very well. Jared Goff, you know, not the most top tier elite quarterbacks in this league but can absolutely get it done and can manage a game if you keep them upright they've proven they can keep them upright they've proven they can run the ball down your mouth whether it is jameer gibbs or david montgomery doesn't matter they can run the ball on you they are a little bit lackluster in the secondary but the defensive line led by aiden hutchinson and ali mcneil has been extremely disruptive and has straight up taken over games at points especially like example that packers game they played earlier this year. That was a great example of their defensive line, excuse me, getting a little stuffy, uh, taking over the game at that point. Again, not a whole lot that this Detroit Lions team cannot do. And for those reasons, I have them at number six. Number five, possibly the hottest, maybe the second hottest team in the NFL right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Travis Etienne playing like one of the best running backs in the entirety of the league. He's been on a tear. I love whichever Lawrence has been able to do. Josh Allen defensively has been a nightmare for opposing quarterbacks. And they have legitimately one of the best quarterback duos in the entire league between Campbell and Williams back there. Those dudes are playing really, really well. I love what Jacksonville is able to do. I love Doug Peterson. I'm a very big Doug Peterson believer. Jacksonville Jaguars at number five. Four through one should be no surprise at all. I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. And again, I am running out of time here, so bear with me. Number four, San Francisco 49ers. I, I still got to put them up this high. I know they've lost three in a row. And Brock Purdy has been playing too much hero ball. He's been trying to do too much. And this is not a team that's designed to play from behind. But frankly, most of the time, they're not playing from behind. And they got better this past week by adding Chase Young. I think they bounce back coming off their bye, find a way to win that football game in Jacksonville. And I still think when it's all said and done, they win the NFC West. They have a home playoff game, and they're in serious contention for a Super Bowl. Number three, Kansas City Chiefs. They haven't really quite looked like themselves. Their defense is still playing absolutely lights out, especially their secondary, led by Trent McDuffie and Legereus Sneed. Again, just mentioned it with Jacksonville, but Chiefs, same scenario, legitimately one of the best cornerback duos in the entirety of the league right now. Don't really think they're getting enough credit for what's being done over there. But offensively, they haven't really, you know, found their stride yet. They haven't really found their receiver in that room. I really want to see them get Rasheed Rice more involved, especially down the field, because basically all of his production is coming after the catch right now. But he is a dynamic receiver and just has a different element than a lot of these other guys in the receiver room where Kadarius Tony and Sky Moore, you know, more of those like flanker slot type of guys that you can even put him at Z. You can move them, you know, before the snap. You can get them yards after the catch, but they're not really going to, you know, take the top off of a defense as far as just dynamic downfield vertical stretching ability. Rasheed Rice can do that for you, and I really want to see them get more involved um, with him. Obviously, we know how good Travis Kelsey is. Obviously, we know how good Patrick Mahomes is, Andy Reid. Never going to count those guys out, and they're still dealing on defense. So not quite looking like themselves but I'm not going to count them out. Still have them at number three. Number two, Philadelphia Eagles. Um, again, we know what this team is. 
They can beat you in any single way. One of the best rosters in the entirety of the NFL. Don't really need to say much else. Number one, Baltimore Ravens. They are the hottest team in the NFL right now. They're doing it offensively. They're doing it defensively. Lamar Jackson's playing mistake for you right now. He is playing at an MVP caliber level. And their run game is still absolutely elite. I talked about them a lot in this episode. They are worth talking about. They are seriously one of the best teams, if not the best team. In my opinion, they are the best team in the entirety of the NFL right now. Again, all this is subject to change. And it's amazing how quickly things can change in this league just based off of week to week. There's definitely a chance they lose to Cleveland. I'm not going to discount that possibility. Um, You know, the Niners could possibly lose to Jacksonville. Jacksonville could be moving further up there. There's a lot of different things that could happen that could change these rankings very dramatically, very quickly here. But with all that being said, that's going to do it for today's episode. I hope you did enjoy it. Um, I hope the mic quality wasn't too bad. If you got all the way here, I really do appreciate you. Again, be sure to follow me here on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you're listening to this. And then also go follow me over on Instagram because there's going to be a lot of new exciting content coming for you guys soon. Really excited to get a lot more of you guys involved in this channel. And that's going to do it for me, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Have a great rest of your day and peace out.